So whether you're a, a client or you're a coach or a therapist who's helping your clients get through CPTSD, um, the problem is that it is so complex. And that many times what we find is the stuff that would normally work in a therapeutic context doesn't work for people with CPTSD. It can either actually trigger people with CPTSD into an emotional flashback or their CPTSD can quite consciously and deliberately rise up like some sort of super intelligent virus and undo the work that you did. This can be overwhelming for some client, uh, for well, for some clients, for all clients. You know, speaking as a client of uh, who needed help with their CPTSD, it was extremely overwhelming for me. But it was terrifying for me to see the despair in therapists' faces when work that they had done, my unconscious impulses rose up and undid the work that they had done. When we were working towards and we had agreements within the therapeutic setting for me to do things, I would sometimes do them and then go into an emotional flashback and undo them. This can be very, very daunting and very, very frightening. I think I've uncovered a way to stop that from happening. I'm gonna make a bold claim here and say that this represents a total claim for CPTSD. That, a, a total cure for CPTSD. The bold claim is a total cure for CPTSD. Um, not that watching this video is gonna instantly give you a cure for CPTSD. Everybody's on a sliding scale. What I would say is that on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being you cannot function without um, assistance more than 12 hours a day. One being, you know, you have issues of getting jobs done and procrastinating. You sometimes struggle with a bit of depression and you have a poor self-image on the scale of CPTSD. Then from zero to five, you could probably do this course, do the exercises on this course, and you could get a hell of a lot done. You could probably clear up 80% of your problems. And whilst an 80% clear up is not a total cure for CPTSD, it's functionally, it's pretty much cured. Um, for those of us who are at the spectrum where we're at a level five up to a 10, then we're gonna need help. We're gonna need to enlist the help of a counselor and a or a coach. And that's why this video is for clients. This course is for clients and it's for coaches and therapists as well to help us all work through this issue and to avoid the pitfalls that standard coaching, standard counseling and standard therapy offer that on you know through with good intentions and with uh, a mechanical understanding of, of, of how healing and, and psychotherapy work fall down when you're dealing with a client who has CPTSD. So let's get a really strong grasp of the structure of CPTSD. As far as I'm aware, this hasn't been laid out anywhere else quite in this way. As far as I'm aware, this is original. It's my material. So I've written, this is horrible by the way, I'm aware of that. There'll be a beautiful graphical representation in the ebook that came with this course. Plus after this video talk where I'm doing it on the whiteboard, I'll do a voiceover video where you'll get nice graphics. I, I like doing it like this, it helps me think. Um, and you know, you can get a sense of where I'm coming from from this. So I wrote CPTSD at the top. The major issues of CPTSD are all here in this one small picture. This overbearing bloated balloon head is the bad parent. For the psychotherapists, this is the superego. For the transactional analysts, uh, an analysts, analysts, transaction, transactional analysts, 
this is the parent, the bad parent. That's what I'm calling it in this model. This is the ego or the adult in transactional analysis. And this is the child or the id. Okay, bad parent in my model, I'm swapping between Freudian psychoanalytic language and transactional analytic language because it's functional. Why? This is the ego. We all know, your client knows without any training that the ego is the sense of self. It's the sense of who they are. It's the thing that moderates the different parts of the self and it's the thing that moderates the relationship between the inner self and the outer self in a boundaried way in a normal person. In this diagram of parent, adult, child, superego, ego and id, the superego, the bad parent and the child are huge compared to the tiny, uncertain looking little id, uh, sorry, ego or adult, what should be an adult. I'm not going to refer to this when the transactional uh, term of adult, because this is not an adult. When your client with CPTSD shows up, the problem that we have as a CPTSD sufferer, who I suspect for about two years of my life, I probably had, I probably would have clicked for a, a full-blown personality disorder. I probably would have clicked for borderline personality disorder because I read up about it and you know, 80% of the um, symptoms for stereotypical male borderlines, male histrionic borderlines, I had all of them. Um, so when we show up to you as a client, we are not the adult. We are this berated, shrunk, weak little ego. I'm not saying to those of you who are clients who are watching, don't get triggered by the word weak. This is not your fault. This is not my fault. It came from the trauma of the bad parent to the child in childhood. All of this is childhood trauma. The only time it is not is when you are dealing with a POW, uh, a combat veteran who's come back, in which case <clears throat> this would be the torturer or prison guard who's inflicted so much trauma that the ego has shrunk. The... Um, uh, the soldier under the circuit or political prisoner, it could be some people who watch my stuff work for Amnesty, Amnesty International has shrunk, degraded, gone back into itself and now has become a child because this is what happens when you're terrified, because this is what happens when you experience a massive amount of pain and are living in fear for your very life 24 seven, you regress back into an extremely vulnerable childlike state. Bad parent, shrunken ego, very confused in a child. So I drew the bad parent with an angry face. Some bad parents don't show an angry face. There is such a thing as covert narcissistic personality disorder or vulnerable narcissistic personality disorder. There may have been no shouting. There may have been no hitting. There may have been no open berating. It may have been ambient abuse, emotional abuse, gaslighting, things that go slip in under the radar. The end result? is a very shrunken ego. Most people who have CPTSD probably actually won't find that a demeaning description of where they're up to because they just think, yeah, that is where my life is up to. This poor little person is not functioning as an adult. My major problem that I, I, that I identified for myself when I was trying to recover for myself was, I was I'm very emotionally immature. I am aware that I'm kind of silly 
and emotionally immature. At the time I was 35, 36, and I was trying to take an objective look at myself and just being like, what the hell is wrong with me? I'm very emotionally immature, I'm very indecisive, I'm very non-assertive, and when I'm trying to get things done or get what I want, I either freeze into laziness, I didn't know the word freeze into laziness, but I identified that I was very lazy and procrastinated. I explode into rage, I fawn and manipulate to get what I want, or I just run away from my problems. I didn't know about CPTSD when I was 35, so I've given you a more coherent version of what I was thinking inside my head. I have a better model now. And that's all I'm gonna to present to you in this course, by the way, is models of reality and models of healing. But I believe that they are so powerful that they will help you to help others and help you to help yourself. Bad parent, shrunken ego, very confused inner child. Let's talk about this for a second. The ego looks confused and shrunken. The parent is bloated and enraged looking and it's driving trauma and upset down towards the child. The child has been drawn in a not very good way because I'm not an artist with a split face to represent the splitting that occurs inside the personality of somebody who either undergoes torture uh, in, in, as an adult that goes on for years, or more commonly, the psychological and emotional torture, perhaps sometimes physical torture in childhood, that creates, that causes us to split parts of ourselves that we find unacceptable away from ourselves in order to survive. If this goes on for long enough and is consistent enough, most of us already know that this creates a kind of schizophrenia, a schism, which is like a gap in the personality, which can then manifest, manifest as dissociative identity disorder, full-blown. Those of us who've dipped into borderline personality disorder or who have very, very strong CPTSD will recognize in ourselves, if not full-blown dissociative identity disorder, the fact that we can show up as very different people we turn up as different people on different days. And the person we are turning up as can switch in an instant. And that's a problem. It's very, very hard to maintain loving, boundaried, mutually advantageous business relationships, friendship relationships, sexual and intimate relationships, when you're switching who you're showing up as on the drop of a dime. Very, very hard. Very, very hard for the people around you and very, very hard for you. Why are we splitting? Why is the face sometimes angry and why is the face sometimes sad? And is that all it is? No, but it's just easier to represent that way. It's called projective identification. Doesn't matter. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Let's use normal layman's terms. The bad parent is feeling good some days, bad some days, bullying some days or whatever some days. So they are the ones who are split. The kind of attention that they show the child is split. Come here, I love you. Get the fuck away from me, you little shit. Don't fucking look at, don't talk, stop crying. Wow, you know, that's, I love you. Come here, come here, come here. Every day, every day when a child is very, very vulnerable. Up and down, love and hate. To keep this simple, let's say that the bad parent sometimes shows love and sometimes shows hate. We all know, most of us know as we're watching this, this might not be one bad parent, it might be two. You might have a loving parent and an angry parent. You might actually have a um, sad mummy, angry daddy. So you might have um, somebody who's really, really sad and can't help themselves 
and they're giving the child a certain type of attention and then somebody who's extremely enraged is giving the child a different type of attention and the child is looking to the to the bad parent to say who am i who am i how do i survive in this world what's love show me how to love myself the child is looking up and saying show me how to love myself well what's the message of how to love themselves come here i love you fuck you get away from me you little shit you're beautiful you're the best thing in the world come here i'm going to punch you because i feel bad it's hard stuff now imagine that's what now you're feeling that sorriness that you feel now and the horror you feel at my description for what is happening to this lollipop child that i draw on a board that isn't real it's made of pen it's fine everything's fine everything's fine that's what happened to you can you feel that same compassion for what happened to you as the person who received this type of abuse? That's something I ask clients in therapy all the time. Sometimes they can for a moment, sometimes they can't. Why not? If the parent or parents didn't show compassion to the child in childhood, they can't access the capacity to show themselves compassion. There is a kind of uh, a new type of, um, of, of therapy that has come out. Um, it came out of, uh, uh, I think it was the UCL, the researchers at UCL in London. And it just focuses on undoing the damage that is done from a child looking to a parent in their very early developmental years and going, show me who I am, and the parent giving them bad responses or no responses. There is another option here where I would just draw the parent with the eyes just turned away. They do nothing. They don't scream at the child. They don't give the child mixed messages. They don't uh, torture the child, nothing. They just ignore the child. It's still a message. It's still a communication to the child. You are not worthy of my attention. Well, whatever happens, total ignorance, abuse, smothering, the child is receiving a message there must be something wrong with you because the child has no boundaries between its sense of self and the bad parent and it, it just inhabits this idea I'm being treated badly, there must be something wrong with me. A, a tiny child can't go, oh, my mum's a bit of a dick or my dad is an alcoholic dependent. They've got childhood issues. That comes later. You know, this 30-year-old or 40-year-old or 50-year-old person who shows up in therapy can say that. And they, some, of, some of your uh, clients are going to be very, very CPTSD literate. And they'll know all the words and they'll know all the jargon and they'll know all the mechanics of exactly what I'm talking about, but they're still showing up as this. They cannot have any consistency. And we're gonna get into why in just a second. What's important to understand is this splitting in the personality, you're the golden child, you're the black sheep. So the projective identification is from the parent is whatever I want you to be, that's how I'm going to treat you. If I want you to be the golden child, you're the golden child and I'm God and I choose that reality no matter what you do. If you're the black sheep, I'm God or goddess. It's my reality. I get to choose you however I want. doesn't matter what you do, you're a piece of shit and you're worthless. This creates a split in the child. The, the, the four Fs that we all know of CPTSD, the four responses of CPTSD, fight, flight, freeze and fawn, all come from this. They're a split response to the type of trauma that the parent gave, even if that trauma was ignoring the child. That, that's the response. Now, here we go. CPTSD 
predominantly manifests as the inner critic. That's the voice of the bad parent. And the, um, the inner child is predominantly responsible for the CPTSD manifesting as emotional flashbacks. So you could say words and feelings. But I wrote the word here, recordings. All of this is in the past. And it doesn't matter if you're dealing with a combat vet who just got back two months ago. It's not happening today. It's not so why is it being held in the self and being replayed? Let's be really clear on this. CPTSD mainly manifests the two major problem areas are emotional flashbacks. It's just bad feelings. And the inner critic where the mind is saying you're worthless, you're worthless, you can't do it, you're not worth anything. Both of these are coming from the bad parents is the source of both. I won't draw that on because it'll make it a mess. The bad parent is the source of both of these feelings and these words. This is what the inner critic is what the bad parent said to you in recorded form. You're, you're holding that recording inside of you and you're playing it. I'm saying you as though you, the ego is doing that. Of course, the ego is not doing that the infrastructure that you are not conscious of, the unconscious, the thing that good psychoanalysis predominantly concerns itself with and predominantly resolves is the unconscious structure through which we live. You can't stop it. This is not your fault. This is, this is not your fault. This is high level brainwashing that was done to you that would fuck you up if we did it today. But imagine what it does to you when you're four years old two years old, one year old. You don't even understand the words being said to you, but you get a feeling about the intent. One year old, you have no boundaries. You're completely vulnerable. You're completely dependent on the bad parent for your very survival in the same way that a political prisoner becomes attached to the torture of the prison guard in a childlike way because, well, in political prisoner or child, Where's my shelter coming from? Well, the, the bad guard, the evil parent. Where's my um, calories coming from? The bad guard, the evil guard, or the bad parent. Sh uh, shelter and calories, right there. We don't need to talk about anything else. This is primal. That goes into the depths of who you are. Where will you sleep tonight? If you sleep outside, you might die because of predators. It's primal. It's part of our evolution. Where are my calories coming from? If, I, if you were stuck in a situation that wasn't torturous, but I was the person who just brought you food every day and we barely spoke, you would develop an emotional attachment to me. This is what happens in therapy. This is what happens in coaching that we have to be careful of. Transference. The, the you, you show up. You show up. You're holding bad parent recordings inside of you. This is inside of you. I'm using the word you frivolously here. It's not you as you choose to be. It's part of your unconscious structure. You have bad parent inside of you and you have confused and split in a child inside of you. You get a therapist who is, um, in an ideal world, I'm sure all the therapists watching this are like this, who shows up with a little halo like an angel and every time you reveal the awfulness that's inside of you, the awful things you think, and the awful things you feel, it's cool. It's cool, don't worry, that's fine. And it's gonna get better. 
it's fine, it's cool, don't worry, you're okay, it's okay. Everybody's like this, don't worry, it's fine, you're okay. Validation, validation, validation. Validation to bring you back into um, a non-toxic state. Because this poor little girl or poor little guy is basically sat in a bath of toxic shame. I won't draw because it'll fill. I can't help myself. I have impulse control issues. This is the bath they're in and it has little feet on it. And that's a bath full of toxic shame. And that's where the common state is. Can you help me? Yes, I can help you. Tran uh, transference is, oh, I love you now. Yep, I've been through therapy with women and with men. And yeah, it, it's uh, you get weird dreams, you get all kinds of, because this is the person who can actually rescue you in a, a good parent role. But there are therapeutic schools that say, hey, embrace that, be the parent. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with that, except that it could get a bit weird if this person isn't of the highest fucking moral standards. More than that, it doesn't really cure CPTSD. So I have spoken about reparenting, but when I speak about reparenting, it's the reparenting of the self because this bad parent is a recording that's still inside the unconscious structure that is you. And we gotta deal with them. So you can get attached to an external good parent and probably what's gonna happen over a long enough timeline, the bad parent, the inner critic is gonna show up. You'll still be in emotional flashbacks and you'll go, this person's a piece of shit. That's the outer critic. Or you'd be like, they don't really love you. They don't really care about you. It's just a job. As soon as you stop paying them, they're gonna sack you off. When you have worked as a coach with clients who have who are, who are now vectoring in for borderline personality disorder, this is a very common complaint. The, 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 patient with, the client with borderline personality disorder is uniquely challenging because they will be like, well, you don't really care about me. I know that you don't like me. Stay with me. The bad projective identification that the client experienced from the parent as a child in their childhood, they will now repeat as a recording back onto the therapist as the bad parent. I said to you, the bad parent is inside and the <laughs> vulnerable inner child. You know, I'm not gonna get into how this can affect, how this shows up as cluster B personality disorder, but um, there are coaches and therapists out there who will experience this, that the client might show up one day as vulnerable and then wanna show up another day in a much more aggressive and bullying mood because it puts them back into a feeling of control. It's not really that they actually wanna hurt this well-intentioned therapist, but they will if, if you're not boundaried and you don't understand the mechanics of what's going on because now they're showing up as bad parent. Well, I wanna be in charge, but it's not, oh, I wanna be in charge. I, I, yeah, I think I can be assertive. I think today in therapy, we should do this. What do you think? If you're down for that, we could do that, right? They don't know how to, uh, in a boundaried, you know, people who've been very damaged, don't know how to be in charge in a way that isn't angry and aggressive and bullying or manipulative. They only know one way of doing things. This is dangerous because then if this poor person in their bath of toxic shame carrying around this bad parent and the wounded inner child then has children of their own, it's gonna be a big challenge and a big learn and a big healing is gonna be required in order for them to not turn up as the bad parent or start projecting their inner child onto that person. So projective identification, guys, it just means I'm gonna push my bad feelings onto you and make you be the person I need you to be or that I suspect you are 
or that I, in order to live my victim fantasy, need you to be, or whatever the story is that I'm living, I make you that. I make you the bad kid, I make you the good kid, I make you the sad kid. My most recent experience with um, a family system that has gotten sick is they, may, they have made a perfectly healthy child into the sick child. They've gone, this child is sick. And the rest of us are going, I don't, don't think he is. Oh no, he's really, really sick. Mm. Not sure that he is, but there's nothing you can do because that's projective identification. It's the bad parent. They might be projecting their own issues onto their child, but that's what can happen. So how does this help you? We've identified that your primary issue is a recording issue and it's part of an unconscious structure. The two recordings that we need to deal with in order to focus with the C to heal from the CPTSD are the inner critic and the emotional flashbacks. This is the wounded inner child and this is the angry parent. We're carrying the wounded inner child and the angry parents around. We're being this fractured, shrunken um, ego self that's not strong, that's not assertive, that doesn't have self-governance and self-sovereignty. And we're playing these recordings over and over again. So you might just say, well, stop the recordings. How do we do that? This is where the work gets tricky. How are we gonna stop these recordings? And can we stop the recordings? Okay, I believe over time you can stop the recordings enough, the inner critic recordings can be stopped enough that the emotional flashbacks will recede into nothingness. When the emotional flashbacks have receded into nothingness, if you're working on the skill of processing your emotional flashbacks, you can control them. When you work on the skill, and we'll get into skills and strengths that you, you have to develop and the client has to develop in the next section, then um, you can abate the CPTSD. It's a, it's, it's a little bit like putting your finger in a hole that's come through in a dam though. As soon as that finger comes out, as soon as that skill goes back, I mean, you, you would have to develop the skill with such tenacity over time that that just becomes who you are. And you will. I will show you how to do it. But it's hard doing it that way. That's the way I did it. And it wasn't the most intelligent way, but it was the only way I could do. And I basically, I, this is my conclusion that I came to, was I was brainwashed as a child. That's why these recordings are playing. It was a kind of hypnosis. I will re-brainwash myself into something else. So where the inner critic is saying, you're useless, you're useless, you're a piece of shit, you're worth nothing. Every time that came up and I could identify it, I'd be like, right, we now have to do five minutes of internal dialogue, time it on a smartphone, literally click, here we go. And I am going to be telling myself in a dialogue, you're okay, everything's okay. You don't need to feel this way anymore. You're a good person, you're good enough, so on and so forth. With the emotional flashbacks. Similarly, I use like somewhere between a CBT and an NLP pattern interrupt plus hypnosis so that most of the time, emotional flashbacks I think of as being like storms. My life is avoiding the storms. I have a map that runs in my head. I know where the triggers are. I know when I'm getting tired and run down. I know when somebody is pushing my buttons enough that I'm about to go into an emotional flashback and I mostly avoid that stuff. I also have pretty good state management skills, pretty good, but not perfect. If I'm in a narcissistically abusive relationship and I'm being triggered, I will go into a you know, full force emotional flashback. And I, I, that is outside of my control. But these skills are useful and I'm gonna show you them to you in the next section. 
The bigger picture here is something called emotional literacy. All of this, this trauma, this splitting, the bad parent and the recordings, because you have felt so bad for so long, the muscle that processes emotion kind of breaks and you cease to be in contact with how you feel because it's too painful. When you are out of touch with how you feel, you stop processing the emotions. It seems to be the case, I can't tell you for certain, there's no scientific research backing this, but it seems to be the case that emotions kind of get digested much in the same way that food does. And when they are unprocessed and undigested, they harden in the system and they block the system up and they can make you very, very sick. So emotional literacy is a huge part of solving this issue. But dealing with the emotional flashbacks as is will be reduced by the development of the emotional literacy as will the inner critic work. But we can do stuff with the inner critic that is really, really powerful that I'll show you in section three that actually makes the inner critic stop altogether. When the inner critic stops, you'll find the emotional flashbacks really grind down to almost nothing at all. Okay, so this is the map we're operating from. Let's move forward and uh, conquer these objectives as it were. Thank you for listening.